everybody. Welcome back to this episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Shortly, we will get into the interview, which is the substance of this episode. But first, uh, we came together here as an operations team because there's a few things that we want you to know about what is ahead for Anabaptist Perspectives. Today, uh, three of us are here. Myself, Jaron Miller, I'm on the operations team for Anabaptist Perspectives and work on things such as episode planning and working on the kind of content that we will publish for you. Yep, and I'm Marlon Summers, working on a variety of things such as keeping track of money and thinking about ways to improve our new website and uh, get to help with planning content and so on a little bit as well. My name is Vincent Miller. It is good to be here with Marlon and Jaron today. In addition to being on the operations team, my role at Anabaptist Perspectives is being the production manager and the podcast editor. Shortly, we will get into the interview, but first there's a few things that we wanted you to know. The first thing is that season three of Anabaptist Perspectives will soon end. We have several more episodes scheduled to be published, but in the second half of September, we will release our final episode for this season. So this is the third season that we have gone through, and seasons one, two, and three have each had roughly 50 episodes, which is what we have done again for season three, but that is coming to an end in September. As Jaron just mentioned, we are nearing the end of season three, but we are making plans for season four. We have started recording and developing those episodes. We don't have an exact date set yet for when we'll be starting, but it will very likely be the first half of 2022. I know that many of you who listen have been listening every week as we publish each new episode throughout Season 3, so we want to thank you for your attention and for sticking with us. Yes, and thank you as well for those of you who have made this uh, financially possible. Um, this show represents uh, financial investments by a lot of people, um, including many who are giving a monthly contribution, um, whether that's through our website or through Patreon, uh, which offers a few bonus features. And of course, there's been larger one-time gifts that have been very helpful. Uh, so thank you again for that. As a reminder, if you'd like to contribute in that way, anabaptistperspectives.org um, slash donate um, for giving through our website. Uh, it also has a link to Patreon, also has, of course, a mailing address uh, if you prefer to send a check through the mail. And if I can say just a little bit of a word about what Patreon is. Patreon is a website that's specifically designed for content creators, uh, media, and so on to allow us both to share some bonus content with you, often things that are a little bit more rough around the edges, as well as just a good platform for monthly contributions. And you can do that with a monthly contribution of any amount you choose. Uh, you can also access that through our donate page, anabaptistperspectives.org slash donate. Today's episode is an interview that we did with Kate Kleinsaucer. Uh, Kate and her husband, Eric, work in Athens, Greece, I believe, with people who have been displaced from other countries, particularly in the Middle East, you know, have come to Greece. You'll notice that partway through the episode, Kate mentions a relationship that she had with a woman from Afghanistan who suffered from trauma. 
This episode was actually recorded several months ago, so that may sound familiar since in recent weeks we've been hearing about um, the implications that the recent Taliban takeover in Afghanistan has had for women. So Kate actually was not referring to recent events, um, but I think her comments are as relevant now as ever, even though she wasn't directly commenting on the more recent upheaval in that country. So here is the interview with Kate. Listen and enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. On this episode, we have Kate Kleinsaucer on with us from Athens, Greece. So we're doing this through Zoom. Um, so yeah, Kate, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Kate, and I'm from Athens. And I live here with my husband, Eric, and we work here with predominantly Farsi speakers, um, individuals that are displaced, um, coming through mostly through the island of Lesbos and also Samos and Kios. And a lot of them end up here in the downtown of Athens. So, Kate, on this episode, we're going to be thinking more about the concept of trauma. And can you just describe some of your personal experiences you've encountered with trauma, whether it's, you know, working with people you, you work with there in Greece? Um, outline a little of, of what that looks like and maybe tell us what your experience has been. Yeah, so my personal experience actually started when I was quite young. I would say 16 17 in that age, um, I was raised in a very good family and a very stable family. Um, but you know, there's always that one time, um, usually where we are forced to face evil and suffering, even if we come from really sheltered family environments. So I was quite young when that hit for me and my personal experience, and then the experiences of those around me in a very small church community and small, the small town around me. Um, really, really deeply impacted me at a young age. Now, I really aggressively tore into um, all kinds of issues and stories because of my own personal experience and feeling like I needed to change the narrative for other people. And that took me a lot of different directions. I heard a lot of stories um, from mostly women sitting on church pews, girls that were raised in Christian environments. And that just gave me a, a, a deepening passion to make what was wrong right, you know. And I think my heart was good in all of that. I wanted to see change happen. I wanted to see the church understand survivors of abuse and suffering. But um, what I found years down the road is that I was exhausted mentally and emotionally and spiritually a lot of the time. And it sent me on a real quest for answers, not only for myself, but for the ones that I knew were facing these really difficult life events and ending up lonely and confused and um, crying out to God from the bottom of their heart for answers, you know, all the way from a woman that is standing in the middle of a forest screaming, where, where are you, God? To a little girl who, you know, I was trying to coach to fall asleep at night and is asking questions that no one knows how to answer. So I think for all of us, we all have those personal experiences that really bring these wrestling questions to the surface. Um, and the greatest question that I have found both personally and with listening to the stories of those around me is that we question where a good and faithful and protecting father God is in those times of extreme suffering, violence, trauma, and abuse. So my personal experience and then the listening to the stories of the women that God brought to me has really formulated a few things in my mind. Number one is that what trauma destroys, Christ restores. And number two is that 
I am not in the, I don't have the capacity to step in as a savior or as someone that can, you know, just resolve the, the extent of evil and trauma that occurs every day to innocent people. But I'm a, an ambassador for Christ. And I love the, that phrase in scripture that we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, because that means we're like these perpetual imitators of Jesus Christ to the world around us. So when the question comes to me now, where is God? Where was God? Um, I can't feel him. I never felt him. Um, I look around me and I see him moving within the church because we are his ambassadors to the ones that have suffered and the ones that are traumatized because of my deepening passion through the years um, coming from the experiences I had within a Christian church and community, I, I really asked God, you know, for more opportunities. I was really restless to break outside of uh, what I felt stuck in. And I went to nursing school with that in mind. I wanted to go to areas and places where people were poverty stricken, where I could help. I graduated nursing school and after that worked in Haiti for a while. And it was towards the end of my time in Haiti where God gave me a dream where I was enclosed in some sort of prison cell with another woman. And I can't really describe on a screen to you the, the look on the face of the woman or the amount of trauma that she was going through locked up and under the bondage of, of men, of evil men. But it significantly impacted me and God really directed me through that dream to pursue uh, women who were marginalized, women who were oppressed and abused and in slavery. So because of that, I wanted, I kept wanting to pursue that and God kept closing the doors. I committed to go to India for a few years and it was in that small span of time that I heard about what was happening on Lesbos, Greece. And in 2015, I took my first trip there, which ended up being really life-changing. And God has now called me to be here long-term. It was in the refugee camp after um, Greece had kind of gone into a different phase of dealing with the refugee crisis where they were turning the camps into detention facilities that the stories really started coming out because women weren't just coming and going on a day-to-day -day basis. They were staying stuck in the camp. And we started realizing when we created, my friend and I created this small space within the camp where we could invite um, the women in. And my friend Kendi um, was focused on the women from the Dominican Republic, which there was only you know a few of them. They come from a far country here coming through to Greece. It seemed very strange that they were there. Um, but we found that there were pockets of women all throughout the camp who were there traveling alone and all had a lot of the same story of why they got there. So I remember specifically one day standing outside one of the offices where I was working after I had interviewed 11 girls from Africa. And most of them had been trafficked for sexual exploitation. And the basic narrative is that they are um, convinced by an agent in their home country to travel to Istanbul, Turkey, for example, to take a, a job offer. And most of the time that job offer sounds really great. It's like nanny work or cooking or something that they can do for a good wage to send money back to support their families or maybe even their children. And when they arrive in Istanbul, sometimes the first day they're taken to a brothel and forced to serve clients, you know, sometimes 20 to 40 clients a day. So I remember standing outside this office after 11 interviews and, and just wishing that the whole world could fall silent. You know, that we wouldn't just keep going and doing our normal activities and, and, and just take a moment of silence for the severe suffering and abuse that these women have faced. 
And that's the same feeling that I have had in our home communities and in my own experience where the weight of the grief that of what has been taken, what the devil destroys, just weighs on me so heavily. I feel it deeply. What I have found is that just like the word of God says, the devil came to kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and that abundantly. Just as I have seen and felt personally the impact of suffering, of sorrow, of trauma, of grief, of, of just the sexual perversion, the impact that sexual perversion has um, in the face of innocence every day, really. Um, what I found is that the, the life of Jesus, when it comes and touches that, is the most beautiful thing that I've seen and the most transformative um, effect for the ones that have been traumatized and, and especially in my own personal story. So I'm an ambassador for Christ. I think, I, I think that's my title. That's my bio. <laughs> I'm an ambassador for Christ. I, I don't have much of a title when I'm not a trauma expert, but I'm an ambassador for Christ. And I think that's, I like that title because it's something that all of us can take as followers of Jesus. And it's something that is really transformative for the lives of those who've been um, traumatized, those that have faced um, whether that's sexual trauma or any kind of grief or loss that they've faced when they can walk alongside someone that can perpetually imitate Christ to them, real transformation can occur. Wow. So, so that's a powerful story. So obviously you're, you're encountering this type of thing on a fairly regular basis because of where you live. Can in your experience, how does trauma actually affect a person just in, in everyday life? What are some common effects that, that you see in your work? Yeah, so trauma really has the ability to impact the whole person. And that's just what I, what I want to leave here is that we, we sometimes minimize the impact of trauma by throwing on, you know, kind of a pat remark about it or that, well, we just need to forgive and move on. The reality is that the average age of sexual abuse, for example, is six years of age. And when you're six years old, there's so much that is underdeveloped, even about our perceptions of the world, our perceptions about people, our perceptions of God. So take a six-year-old little girl in the church, for example, um, which is a really normal reality um, in America and around the world, um, who perhaps has a family unit and walks into a church every Sunday, um, but whose uncle perpetually sexually harasses and abuses her, and no one knows. So then she's faced with what seems to be two irreconcilable realities. There's the reality of, of God that she's hearing every Sunday in church and the God she reads about in her Bible storybook and a God who is protective. And yet when she prays desperately in her bed at night for God to protect her from her uncle, the abuse just keeps happening. So you can see how trauma has the ability then to impact body, soul, and spirit. And the way I, I feel that it does that is there's chronic physical stress when abuse occurs and when trauma is chronic. There's those one-time events that happen, and they, they even those have the ability to really change a lot of how we perceive the world to be. But when trauma is chronic, when, when that abuse happens over and over and over and over again, there tends to be a a different level. There's a different level of coping. It's outside of the window of tolerance that we have the ability to build resilience to. And, and you know, some certain amount of stress is good, but once it's outside that window of tolerance, once once it's trauma, once it's completely outside what we're created to um, to endure, that's when we end up developing coping mechanisms that are really unhealthy. Now, I believe that. Take sexual example for 
for an sexual abuse, for an example, um, it impacts the body physically. Many, many women suffer tension problems, stomach issues, many, many physical areas of their life are impacted. But deeper still is the emotional, the soul that takes away the will, the ability to choose. I can't say no, all those things that it, it impacts in the, in the soul or the emotional realm. And then it also impacts the spirit in that it breaks connection. Um, our, our spirit, we have a spirit to connect with God, to connect with others. Um, and sexual abuse tends to shatter that healthy connection. So yes, it, it impacts the body, soul, and spirit. It, it trauma, trauma impacts the whole body and it has really long-term damaging effects if it is not dealt with. And I think what we're often dealing with Reagan is, is women and children and men who were abused at a young age or had have, have come face to face with trauma at a young age and have gone for years and have developed coping mechanisms in order to survive. And it's those survival coping mechanisms that the church or that us as Christians who really want to understand wrestle with because a lot of those coping mechanisms are really complex. They're not easy to understand. So I'm, I'm really an advocate for preventative measures and for awareness, but I think that deeper than that, we really have to understand, you know, what kind of coping mechanisms has this individual um, developed and how can we help them back to health again? And that's a long process. Mm-hmm. It's, this sounds very um, complex and, and multi-pronged. Like there, it, I don't, you're outlining so many different sides to this, depending on the individual. Uh, I, I mean, how do you know even where to start? You know, the Holy Spirit is such a good teacher. And I just want to leave that with all the listeners here. There's a lot of books and there's a lot of articles. There's a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of certificate programs. Um, And I'm an advocate for learning and for even getting a degree if you are called to this long term. Like, I think that can be healthy. Um, But the Holy Spirit at the end of the day is the only voice that will give you the right thing to do all the time. And I think you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit can give you the page number of a book that you read. Um, and sometimes it's as simple as taking a cup of tea and placing it outside the door of somebody who's locked in their bedroom and doesn't want to see anyone. So you really have to be open to doing things and saying things that maybe just don't come naturally to you. And I think where to start, I think we make it a lot more complicated. And yes, trauma is complex, but we tend to make it a lot more complicated than it is. Because when you, when you look at the core needs of the human heart, like love and belonging and, um, you know, grace and all the things that the church and the family um, are meant to emulate. And when that has not been there, say you take the love, the belonging, the protection um, that is so important for children or for anyone who's traumatized, you take that all away. And then they live in this state of isolation and disassociation and confusion and anger. And and anger is really the only emotion they're feeling. And everyone around them is a little confused. I mean, I think often, Reagan, we have good hearts. We really want to understand people and help people through their anger or confusion. But we're not getting to the root of the issues because we don't really understand the impact of trauma or maybe the signs of what what they're going through. You know, maybe... We need to be more aware of signs. Oh, someone's isolating themselves. Maybe it's not just that they hate people. Maybe it's because they don't trust people and then asking some of the right questions. So I think it often starts with asking the right questions. Um, I often feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit that someone needs to be asked if they're 
if they were abused at a young age? And I'm not hesitant to ask that question because those that, that are isolated and that have never been asked that question that are afraid to speak are really waiting for someone to ask that question. You know, they're, they're in isolation and they might respond in an angry way and say they don't want you to, to pry into their personal life, but at least they know that you cared, that you wanted to burst that isolation bubble that they're living in and that you really care about, about their existence. Could you tell a particular story, uh, a personal encounter you've had that has deeply impacted you? And then also how you feel you were uniquely equipped to, to help people in these ways. Like obviously the background in a Christian home and things, but if you could speak into that a little more and then also a particular situation you've encountered that deeply impacted you. Yes, I would say my parents um, were very, open in bringing people into our home. They were very hospitable. And I think that taught us to really value and love people, individuals that were not like us. So I really honor my parents for that. And I want to honor them publicly for that because I really appreciate the fact that they taught us how to expand our dinner tables and add some water to the soup and and not only do that, but to take people into our homes. I remember my parents actually moving to a bedroom upstairs and allowing a few women to move into the master bedroom. Um, and then when that didn't work out, my dad moved it, an apartment onto the property, moved a uh, trailer onto the property and let them live there. And when they didn't get along in the trailer, he, he built two apartments for them to be separated. And so my dad really has a large capacity of mercy and grace for individuals. and. I would say that that has um, really impressed in my heart a desire to do the same in the home and that I'm creating now. Um, some of the stories that have impacted me, I would say all of them have impacted me. And there have been times that I allowed them to really, really, I think I was facing secondary trauma in some of the years of my life that I was hearing so many stories, I would say especially out of Christian communities, because then you're facing the whys of why it happened. You're facing the discouragement of leadership who try to handle the issue in the best way they think they know how and end up really doing a lot of damage and hurt. Um, I've seen a lot of confusion that survivors face when leaders from maybe different churches that are involved disagree on how to bring closure or how to deal with the, with the issue. Um, but I, I honestly think in the whole discussion, many leaders and fathers and parents that are trying to deal with these realities are really doing the best that they know. And some of it is done out of ignorance. They really think they, they know how to handle it. Um, but there's a lot of hurt that's done in that process. Some of those stories are the ones that impacted me deeply because I remember feeling, Reagan, that I just wanted to, to have a videotape of the responses of the survivors as they were screaming in their beds, as they were um, wrestling through the pain of the way that they were treated in an environment where Christ was named. So I say that because I think it's really important for us to understand that although we may think that we have the answer, although we may think that we have the right way to forge ahead to, to make a difference. We really need to remain humble in the journey with survivors so that we don't do more harm instead of, uh, of actually helping them resolve um, what they're battling through and, and what they're facing. So one of those stories was a very young girl and um, she had been raped by her brother and she was very, very close to me. And in her agony at night, you know, many of the times it's at night when the suffering really, really um, 
surfaces and survivors are faced with just a lot of questions about uh, everything that they, they think that they know about God, for example, or others or, or their safety or their own protection, or they just, they don't know what to think about the world anymore. And they tend to just try to remove themselves from a reality they don't want to, that's not safe for them anymore. And that's termed disassociation, right? So uh, this little girl looked up at me one night when I was trying to explain to her that an angel comes every night to watch her by her bedside. Because that's what the Bible says, right? I mean, we tell children that. And she looked up at me with these beautiful blue eyes and said, Kate, where was my angel when my brother raped me? And, you know, I always remember that moment. I think it was a defining moment for me because I didn't have the answer for her. And I was wrestling through some of those same questions. And in my journeys, and as I talk to women from many different parts of the world, I recognize that that's one of the questions that surfaces time and time again. We can teach a Jesus who is loving and patient and kind and who protects and, and all those things. But when that's not felt and seen and heard and where it's not something tangible they can get a hold of, it's really, really hard to connect those dots. Does that make sense? So um, I would say that's one story that, that led me on a more aggressive uh, journey to understanding survivors and understanding how um, they perceive God and others and what are ways that the church can connect those dots that can be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus to survivors. More recently, um, I had a encounter with a woman from Afghanistan who had faced some of the worst trauma that you can imagine. And the stories from places like the Middle East are different in the States, as in they don't have a place to go and there are no places like safe police stations and law enforcement that will help them through um, really significant traumatic events. So this woman from a very young age was on the run, um, running from the Taliban, trying to run here to leave to a, to a different country and um, has not felt safe from the time she was a very young girl. So of course, faced a lot of panic attacks and mental health issues. And um, in one of our times um, with her, she was in a state where she was not consciously responding to us anymore. And I was trying to help ground her and bring her out of that state when Jesus appeared to her. And it's so interesting that Jesus loves manifesting himself to survivors of trauma. And he does so faithfully and does it over and over again. And that's what I'm the most excited about, Reagan. Like we can talk about the impact of trauma, but what I'm really the most excited about is that I have seen Jesus come and really show himself, not just in the way I think they need it, but in the way they need it at that time. And in this, in this time of darkness for my friend, Jesus appeared and there was a black form in her vision. And Jesus told that black form to leave and he ran. And then Jesus walked up to her and, and put his hand on her and said, don't be afraid that um, I'm going to be with you and everything is going to be all right. And just like that, she sat up, opened her eyes like nothing ever happened and said, I saw Jesus. And, you know, that can that those kinds of experiences impact you far more than the negative side. So I wanted to bring out a negative because I don't I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I don't hide behind Jesus in the sense that I don't disassociate from trauma being a very real issue and it has drastic effects. But the truth is that when we operate within the plan of God, that he has this amazing transformative 
plan ahead of time. And that is through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And he had that carved out long before any of us, you know, were alive today. And he knew the amount of trauma and grief and despair that we would face. And so he had a plan for us. And it's just stepping into that plan, I think, that um, we struggle with sometimes because we think, you know, we have a better way to do it. There isn't a better way to do it. If we are in step with the Holy Spirit, like with my friend um, more recently, um, and can pray and ask God, what, what is it that you want? He shows up. And it's really, really incredible, Reagan, to watch that happen. And I think that's an important lesson, at least for me to hear. This is a, a tragic, dark, you know, um, terrible situations, but there is also the possibility of healing and Jesus showing up in people's lives and being that radical transformation. That's really powerful. I like how you painted both, both sides there. So what is one piece of advice you would give to listeners if they encounter situations like this, or maybe they want to get involved in helping those uh, that have been through traumatic situations like you've described? Where, where is a place they can start? What is one piece of advice you would give them? So I think that abuse and trauma always evokes a very emotive response because it hits us at our core and it should. We should feel anger at abuse. We should feel anger over the injustices of the world. But I think it makes it even more important that we understand which lens we should view abuse view abuse and trauma. For example, I mentioned in my personal story that I, I launched this aggressive like uh, campaign to try to understand survivors and to know that they have a safe place. And I wanted to hear stories. And, and I was unhealthy in that process because I was looking through the lens of my own experience. I was saying, I felt alone. I felt rejected. So I need to make sure no one else is alone or rejected. Now there's some health to that in that we're using our experience to understand others, but it's not actually sustainable long-term. The other side of that is that we can look through the lens of other people's experience and we can do that for a long time because there's always other people's experiences of trauma. You're always going to have another story of abuse, another account of trauma, another news article that lets you know 17 babies were shot in a, in a hospital in Kabul. You know, those kind of articles are always going to surface. We're always going to have another tragedy, another thing that will just tip our morale. So I believe that there's another lens that we can look through, and that is through the lens of the attributes of God. If I'm looking through the lens of the attributes of God, if I see him as holy and pure and righteous and as a God who is on the move for survivors of trauma that is really manifesting himself to them, that is working through his church as his ambassadors to reveal himself to them, then I'm operating on a posture of hope and not despair. And I really think, Reagan, that's the only way that we can operate long-term sustainably with a posture of hope is to see through the lens of the attributes of God. Some might call that worship. Um, I like to call it worship, operating off of a platform of worship so that we can we can operate with hope. And that's what survivors are looking for. You know, we can form all these little uh, anger festivals for women and we can all share our stories. And, and there's some health to that, right? So people can find their voice, but that's not actually the answer for transformative change in their life. Survivors are looking for hope. They're not looking necessarily for somebody that can just join them in an anger escapade, you know? And, and although that might help them feel understood, long-term they're gonna need somebody who is really, firmly uh, 
found their foundation is in the gospel and their foundation is that of hope. Their posture is that of hope. So that's, that's one piece of advice that I would have. I think that the reality is much worse than we think. The reality of trauma is much the worse than we think. The impact is worse than we think. So that makes it even more important that we're grounded in a God who understands it, in a God who not only understands it, send a piece of himself down to die and said, you know what, I'm actually going to show you. This is who I am, that you can see how I am. You can feel how I am tangibly. You can touch me, feel me, know me. And then I'm going to be stripped of all dignity and value for you. I'm going to have my clothes ripped off. I'm going to have people beat me and place a crown of thorns on me. And I'm going to be placed on a cross so that you can see that I suffered because of you. And so that you can see that there's hope because three days later, we know what happened. And then there's that beautiful resurrection when, he overcomes death and shame and, and, and what I believe the impact of trauma he overcame when he resurrected that third day. Well, and I think that's such a, an important note really to leave our audience with is that element of hope. You know, Jesus did go through that horrific circumstance, but there is the resurrection. It's not, the story doesn't end with the um, horrid tragedy of his death, but the resurrection. And that's why we can have hope. That's really powerful, Kate. That's the last question I had on the list, but is there anything else you would like to share uh, with our audience as we wrap it up here? Yeah, I think many of our listeners come from Anabaptist homes, and I think that there is a piece to that that's really important. Um, And I would say that many of us come from family units, from complete family units, which is something really special, Reagan, because there's a lot of of homes that a lot of children that are raised in one parent homes, there's a lot of um, suffering that happens outside of a family unit now. And I think that as Anabaptists, we can offer something significant in our home and community environment. Now, I know that we're more used to a lot of awareness on traumatic subjects, you know, like trafficking and abuse. And, and I actually try to shy away from the data and the statistics more and bring it home because. I recognize that 99% of those that are rescued out of sex slavery, for example, return back to the trafficking community because of the lack of a safe, warm, and caring community. And so that's only one reason that they return. There's the significant trauma bond that develops between them and the perpetrators and all those other areas. But if you if you look at the rate of, of survivors, even within the church, that leave the church in order to get help. Um, I think that there's a disconnect between us. We have incredible home family units. We have homes, we have farms, we have um, even finances in some ways, many of us, where uh, we have this incredible opportunity to bring the traumatized ones that have suffered into our environments. Now, that can be a really scary thing to do because it, it kind of takes away our privacy and some of our, um, you know, ways of protecting our children, protecting our families. But my encouragement is that I really believe the institutions of family and church were put there for a reason by God. And I think, I think God is often misrepresented because of our unwillingness to engage really, really closely with trauma. And I say that by not just, you know, I, I personally think the answers are not necessarily found in training or in, in, you know, preparing yourself by knowing more statistics or more of the bad things that happen out there. But we learn by bringing the bad things out there into our environments or taking the light into those places. 
And that's really where we find experience. Now, I'm not discarding degrees and titles and, and learning and books. And of course, I'm an advocate for that. But I really believe that we learn the best from the voices who have experienced trauma and learning by walking alongside of them. And we really learn how to be obedient to the Holy Spirit that way. And it can be done, Reagan, really well within the, within the home environment and within the church environment. Now, now that's been misrepresented. God has been misrepresented within the homes and churches that have done that lightly, that have done you know, that in a way that they haven't done that in a humble way and listened to survivors. God has been misrepresented, but I believe the plan of God would be that survivors of trauma find a safe, secure, and protective environment within the family and church. So my encouragement is that, you know, survivors of trauma can find a program to go to. There's a lot of programs for them. They can find a place to go to that will give them a room. But no one gets better with just a room and a program sitting on the other side of a desk of a professional that will try to help them sort through the impact of trauma and how that's affected them. Does that help? Yes, it's a piece to putting their lives back together. But what I have found and what I'm what I'm 200% an advocate for is having survivors of trauma live so closely beside you that the pieces of their story can come out while you're cooking spaghetti on the stove, while you're, you know, that you're actually there for them when they're screaming at night. Because if you're gonna, if you're gonna only have an hour a week with them and send them home, they're gonna scream at night by themselves. And the reality is in most survivors of trauma, most survivors of trafficking, most you know, kids in the foster system, for example, have those kind of experiences. And they're not experiences that are going to be fixed by projects and programs. They are experiences that can be fixed within the family and church environment. So that's what I'm advocating for, for us to be like little ambassadors of Jesus running everywhere saying, hey, you wonder where God is in your trauma? Here he is. Like I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, do you feel love from me? That's from God. So where, where is God? You know, sadly, he was pretty missing in your experience, but that wasn't his plan. That was when the church showed up missing. The church is, is learning how to be the ambassadors of Jesus in the way that he designed. Wow. That's, that's a powerful image, I think, for us to end on, is being the hands and feet of Jesus and actually walking with people um, and letting the hope of Christ flow through our lives. That's really powerful. Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. Um, blessings in your work, and uh, hopefully we can connect again sometime soon. For more information about Anabaptist Perspectives, to read our blog, to donate, and to see videos of the conversations you hear on this podcast, visit anabaptistperspectives.org. We love to hear from our audience, so leave your feedback in the comments for this podcast or send us a message through our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for listening to Anabaptist Perspectives. Your listening and sharing this with friends helps more people find our episodes. A special thanks to all of you who support Anabaptist Perspectives financially. We are here because of you. 
If you haven't had the chance to give yet this year, would you consider making a year-end donation? You can donate on our website or by check. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Anabaptist Perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We invite you to join our monthly partner program. Monthly partners are key to the financial sustainability of Anabaptist Perspectives. Partners also gain access to bonus content, including our exclusive podcast where we respond to audience questions and comments. Sign up at anabaptistperspectives.org.